0: The Feminist Press is a partner of Fierce Women Writing. Founded in 1970 and celebrating their 50th anniversary, the Feminist Press seeks to create a world where everyone recognizes themselves in a book. A nonprofit and independent publisher, they support storytelling that ignites movements and inspires social transformation. The Feminist Press lifts up insurgent and marginalized voices from around the world to build a more just future. Learn more about their books at feministpress.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, the podcast where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. I believe that stories can enlighten, heal, and entertain the reader and the writer. First, the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page. I'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity. Every day I talk to writers and would-be writers who aren't writing. They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show, so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, fierce writers! Today's guest is Rachel Mans McKenney. Rachel Mans McKenney is the debut writer of The Butterfly Effect, a novel distributed by Alcove Press and Penguin Random House. Her work has been recently published in The New York Times, The Washington Post, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, and others. Here's Rachel Mans McKenney reading
1: from The Butterfly Effect What was it to know the birthday of a woman you hated? While she was waiting at the airport terminal, the notification had appeared this morning on Greta's Facebook with the nudge, wish Meg a happy birthday. If Greta had known it was Meg's birthday, would she have scrounged up a little less antipathy last night when hearing her voice on the other end of the long distance call? No, probably not. Meg shouldn't get credit for being born. She had been as responsible for that event as Greta was for flying this airplane. This plane and the birth canal were both about delivering people somewhere they didn't want to be from somewhere much warmer. Meg's voice on the other end of the phone, happy early birthday, Meg, Greta hadn't said, was a rocky sea, too wet and tumbling to get the full story. An aneurysm, Greta had processed that much. Danny was alive and asleep. Meg said she would handle it. It was a decision not to trust her, and Greta made that decision. Greta stared out the window on the last leg of her journey. 24 hours ago, she had been knee-deep in rainforest mud, watching butterflies circling above her like a living mobile. 24 hours ago, her mind was turning over the problem of how to keep their microscopic markers on the wings of butterflies in the humidity. It was nothing like tracking monarchs back home in Iowa. Her research focused on the sex lives of glass-winged butterflies, or rather, what their migratory patterns and reproduction said about global warming. Out of the 120,000 described species of Lepidoptera, she had fallen in love with the glasswing's clear scales and distinctive markings. Bug sex had satisfyingly specific terms, partially why studying it fascinated Greta so much. Lecking, the term that described the communal release of glass butterfly pheromones, one of the species' unique features. Butterflies were cheap dates, easy lays, a quick suck of nectar, a little body spray, and down to business. They settled down on a couch of leaves, their abdomens touching. Butt to butt, Larry, Dr. Almond had joked on their first day in the field. Butterfly mating didn't have the intense staring into the eyes that human romance required. Male butterflies also had specific body parts, valves, which hooked the female during copulation. Luckily, also not comparable to human genitalia. There were some direct comparisons to be made. Butterfly mating didn't take long, like human mating, at least in Greta's limited experience. Insect Peni were called adagis, which combined the words in Greek for genitals and to lead, and heck if she hadn't met many men that had led with those two, She thought about Meg and wondered if there were a female version of Velva that could trap someone in a relationship. The glass wings' limited range made them the perfect test case for the changing climate, or at least she hoped that would prove to be the case. Two weeks into her semester-long research trip, and now this airplane ride home. Two weeks was about enough time to collect one-twentieth of the data she needed for her dissertation. Danny was sick, Meg had told her. Greta took a sip of her Pepsi and returned it to the tray table. Danny was hurt, Meg had said. Another sip. The men on the seats next to her held hands on the armrest, the fingers of one lightly unclasping from the other while he fell more deeply asleep. Danny was in the hospital and Greta should come home if, in case, Greta's hands shook. Or maybe it was the plane, probably turbulence, and her Pepsi sloshed a few sickly droplets onto the carpet. Greta leaned over with a napkin to wipe up her mess, only to find two things. One, airline carpet was disgusting. Its patterns must be designed to cover stains like what she was trying to rub out. Two, there was a caterpillar. Oh, hi, she whispered to it. Classically defined, it was a perfectly ordinary Lofocampto Modesta, but current circumstances also identified it correctly as a distraction. Greta angled her boot to cage the tiny spiny yellow caterpillar between the wall and the seat in front of her. Someday this caterpillar would become a moth with small dark patches across its wings. Unlike its butterfly brethren, moths hold, fold their wings to hide their abdomen, something like the plane they were currently on a plan formed in greta's mind first she drank the remainder of the pepsi then she reached across the lap of the man in the center seat and tipped his contents of his melting ice into the em- almost empty cup of tomato juice greta took the two empty cups and moved her foot slowly to uncage the caterpillar it froze but greta didn't she caught it between the cups and lifted When she pulled the cups off the floor, she saw the caterpillar suspended on the lip of one, standing astride it like a tightrope walker. Now, having gone to all this trouble, she wasn't going to leave it on the plane like a pretzel wrapper. If nothing else, her friend Max would find it funny, and that was worth something. She needed someone to find something funny today. She arranged her hands so that one palm could kiss the cups together, then reached for the call button. Maybe the flight attendant had tape.
0: Thank you so much for reading for us today, Rachel. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Rachel, what are the ideal conditions for you to write? So I'd like to say solitude, but that can be hard to find. (laughs) I have three young children, so uh, I definitely need childcare in order to find a quiet, still enough place to get work done. And that's been harder to get this last year for sure. But I'm I'm lucky enough to have about ten hours a week of non-work childcare available for me that I can have some space and headspace to myself that I sort of save up my creative energy for. Other than that, I can write anywhere. I can write in a car backseat. <laughs> I can write outside, just somewhere where I can put my thoughts together without being needed by someone else. Why do you write? I write because I love to read, actually, and I felt like I needed to join the conversation. I felt like I had something to add to it. I've been writing since I was young, like many writers, and the more I read and the more I wrote, the more confident I I was that I wanted to join this conversation that was going on around me, or at least in my head. I also found that when I don't write and when my writing practice Lags, I become sort of intolerable to be around. So I think it also is a way of ensuring I can be a good sociable person with the people around me if I can get the rest of the stories that I'm thinking about out on the page.
0: What inspires you?
1: My ideas, my stories, my humor pieces all start with curiosity about something I don't know. I think when you are young, you think you know everything. You know, you get this little piece of knowledge and you feel so sure about it. But I think the older you get, the more you realize how little you know. And I find that some of my best work comes from digging into those places that I never would have considered before all of the jobs that people have that you don't think about that help keep the world running, all of the parts of nature that are going on around you without you ever noticing. So I'd say starting from a a place of curiosity and understanding I don't know very much helps keep me feeling creative. What are your best writing tips? So I like to write a lot of different genres. So I do write fiction, and I write humor, and I write personal essays. And one of the tricks I learned in a humor writing class that I took a few years ago with Alyssa Bassis. Who's incredible? She runs the um, funny women column at The Rumpus. She said, to learn what's a tweet and what's a piece. And I think sometimes we spend a lot of our creative energy in places that don't deserve it. So, you know, you find yourself tweeting out jokes or tweeting out stories or bits of essays or fiction that could actually become something you know, if you just put in a little bit of work solo on your own. And so I think learning to differentiate between that kernel of an idea that actually has potential to become something bigger, and then that instantaneous hit that you can get off of Twitter or social media, I think that's been one of the biggest tips that I've picked up that's helped me become a more productive as well as a more patient writer. I also say Uh, learn what your strengths are and lean into them. So for instance, I really love writing dialogue. I minored in theater in college. I think dialogue can reveal so much about a character, but you should also figure out pretty quickly what your weaknesses are and force yourself to get some of that work done early in the writing session while you still are fresh, and then maybe save some of the things you like best for later in your writing session. So I might sit down and do a little bit more scene description at the beginning of my writing section, which is my least favorite thing to do, (laughs) and then save more of that dialogue for a little bit later, so that I can structure my time effectively, especially if your time is limited. The other thing I would say is to write while you're not writing. Um, the best ideas come to me when I'm not at the computer. And so taking notes about a kernel of information that I think might might be useful or a story idea in just a, a note in my phone can often become a much bigger piece later. It's kind of like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you want to reach over to your bedside table and jot something on a notepad. Um, that's always better because if you try to just remember it, you won't in the morning. So making those notes, making those breadcrumbs so you can lead yourself back to what's going to be effective.
0: Oh, that's so true. For listeners interested in hearing more from Alyssa Bassist, she was on episode two of the podcast last December. Rachel, what are your suggestions for someone trying to overcome a block?
1: Um, I would say read outside your genre. So often... When I'm feeling blocked, I like to read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy. And um, N.K. Jemison's work really especially inspires me when I'm blocked. Uh, if you've never read her, Bro- the Broken Earth trilogy sort of keeps me sane. And she has so much interesting world building and character work. And it's told in these interesting perspectives. It's just a really rich work. And so sometimes reading something completely different than what I write can get me started creatively again. Also writing outside my genre or writing another genre. So sometimes when I'm feeling blocked writing a novel, I might try to write a little bit of humor or work on essays, or there's not really a wrong way to do that, just to try to sit down and do some sort of writing practice. Even if it's something that you don't think you're good at, like I write terrible poetry, but sometimes an image from one of those poems might later become something else and i can find that that's a really satisfying way to make sure i'm getting my fingers in some writing finally it's okay not to write every day i don't understand people who who say they write every day i don't have time for that and i know most writers who make their living from writing don't necessarily have time even to do that. So being patient with yourself and generous with yourself in those times when you feel blocked or when you feel like you can't sit down and write and realizing that some of your best thinking or some of the ideas that will become your best stories later on, they'll come to you during those fallow times. And we all have those fallow times. What about editing and revising tips? My biggest thing here is not to edit until you finish you wouldn't ice a cake that's not baked. So, just having the patience to finish a complete work before I start the editing process has helped me to actually get projects done. I've written, let's see here, six book length manuscripts in the last seven years. And before that time, I had written zero. Um, and what finally flipped the switch for me was that. Ability to say, I'm not allowed to touch this and edit it at all until I'm done. Until I type the end, I can't fix what I know is wrong. So I just leave notes for myself as I'm going in the comment section, like, come back and completely fix this. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I just, I'm not allowed to dip my toe in that water. It's it's my reward to get to that editing later on. So I have to muddle through and be imperfect and get it done. Um, I'd also say one thing that my agent has me do that I never would have thought of before is to do a beat sheet after you're done writing a project. So she has me go through and track the emotional and physical changes that go on scene by scene. So this is something she made me do before we submitted the manuscript to publishers, which I was like, growl. This seems mm. like a waste of time. I've been working on this book for four years, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, it was so great to see just, you know, here's the stakes in a scene. Here's what um what changes, here's what what things you find out at the end of the scene that are important to know. And it helps you track where the book might need a little bit more development before you get to that final stage. So that was really. Annoyingly helpful for me to do a sort of beat sheet. And everyone says this, but reading aloud really does help. Oh, and and once you get to the professional editing process, humility really helps because there were so many things. I mean, I teach composition classes at a university, and I've been doing that for, you know, eight years, and there were still punctuation concerns that I was like completely wrong about. <laughs> the plural of the word Des Moines is Des Moines's. Like, I'm sorry, it looks so backwards. But, <laughs> you know, once you get to that part of the process, it's a team effort and understanding that, you know, you work together and humbling yourself to know you really do not have all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your journey to publication. It's been a bit of a winding one. So I have gotten agented two times. Um, The first time was with the second book project I'd ever written. And we went on submission with that project and it didn't sell. So it went on submission on Inauguration Day 2017, which was a really hard day for everyone. (laughs) And I think publishing was really feeling pretty downtrodden around that time. And it was on submission for a while, and then we decided to end up pulling it. So during that time, I did what everyone tells you to do, which is write the next thing. So the next thing for me was what became the butterfly effect. So I worked on that project. I wrote this book in three perspectives originally. I wrote it from Greta's perspective. She's the grumpy entomology PhD. I wrote it with her brother's perspective, who's the one who has the aneurysm, and then his fiance, Meg, who you hear a little bit about in the excerpt. And I sent it over to this agent um, who was already representing me. And she's like, ah, this is not working um, in its current form. I think it needs to just be Greta's story. And I was like, but, 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 but it's also got this sort of love story. And what I realized is that she was completely right. Um, The book was mostly about Greta's sort of transformation into understanding how to be loved, um, as well as how to accept the relationship that her brother's in with this person that she doesn't really like. So I rewrote the whole book from just Greta's perspective, and then that agent still didn't like it. (laughs) Whoa. She's like, I, "I'm not passionate enough, and I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, so I made the decision to end representation, which was really hard because she was she's a wonderful person and she's a well-known agent. Um, but i I decided i'm gonna I'm gonna sally forth and find another partner. And I was lucky to be able to find one within a relatively short time after that. Um, and so then after that we we sent our submissions out, and we are now publishing, which feels incredible. But it's, it's been a long journey, and it, it isn't always straightforward. Would you share your
0: submission to publication ratio?
1: Yeah, I think it's been pretty dismal. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Luckily,
0: you... that's, that's customarily the answer.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and so you can look at any of the genres I write in. Let's take humor, for instance. Anyone who has ever written humor has submitted to McSweeney's, right? Mm-hmm. And McSweeney's I got forty-two rejections from them before I got my first acceptance. I mean
0: <laughs> Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And poor Chris Monks, you know, you feel so bad. He he sends you the the nicest just quick, sorry, not for us. Thanks. Thanks for letting us have a look. And you're like, oh my heart. But <laughs> but it is so normal. Um to, to have that. And then, you know, essays, a little bit more successful, I'd say, mostly because they just take so darn long to write, that by the time I'm done with them, I, I sort of know exactly where they belong. And I've been lucky to, to be able to home them in places. Um, novels. Uh, novels, let's see here. The agent finding process. I had at least 40 rejections for my first book that I got an agent with eventually and about the same for when I found representation for the butterfly effect. So it just, its a it's takes patience.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like we all need to hear that information as often as possible.
1: <laughs> right, well, and the biggest thing that I've noticed is that making friends who are at the same part of the journey that you are is such a comfort. Um, making friends who are querying while you're querying, who are on submission while you're submitting, it it just makes the load a lot easier to bear. And and now I get to celebrate with some of those friends. I'll be on some panels with them and doing some events with them when we've all reached the part of the process that we all had been dreaming about back when we were submitting. So it's it's really fun to see your friends succeed that you know we're down in the trenches with you.
0: That's so beautiful. Who are some other women writers or creators we should be aware of right
1: now? Absolutely. Um, I would say one who's another... So I'm a Midwestern writer. Another Midwestern writer that I'm obsessed with right now, who's absolutely hilarious, and Lord knows we all need more humor in our lives, um, is Mia Mercado. And she has a book of essays that's out this year that's a collection of nonfiction, but also humor columns. And it's called Weird But Normal. And it is so funny and wise. She has some of these essays that include titles like Mustache Lady. Um, She talks about using hair removal products. One of my favorites, I think it might have been originally published in the New Yorker, but I'm not sure. But it's called White Friend Confessional. (laughs) And uh, uh, it's all of the things that a, a white woman would tell their friend of color to, to confess about. Um, another author that I absolutely adore and whose collection was out the last couple of years is Tyrese Coleman. And she wrote uh, a book called How to Sit. And it's called A Memoir in Stories and Essays is the subtitle. And it won... No, it was nominated for the Pen Open Book Award. And I've never read anything like this collection. It's walks the line between fiction and nonfiction so artfully. And it is about things that are true, but she doesn't always tell them, you know, in the actual truth. it's It's kind of a hard thing to... One of the reviewers, Nicole Chung, said... You're not entirely sure where fact ends and fiction begins. It's a not a very long collection of essays, and it is stunning and beautiful. And it will take you a while to chew through just because of the depth of language and how wonderful it is. And where can listeners find you online? Yeah, I'm on Twitter most often, and that's at R M McKenny, M-C-K-E-N-N-Y. I'm also a new baby on Instagram at rachelmansmckinney. And there's lots of cute bug pictures there and, <laughs> and book stuff. And then on my website, rachelmansmckinney.com.
0: Thank you for sharing your writing and wisdom with us today, Rachel.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure.
0: Now it's time for our writing prompt. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens.
1: My novel focuses a lot on paying closer attention to the natural world, specifically insects and how they share spaces with us. So, my prompt will have you think about the spaces that we share with nature as well. I want you to think about an indoor space with which you are extremely familiar, your old elementary school the coffee shop you long to return to, your kitchen. Picture it and then think for a moment about the other things, unseen, which might reside there. We share our spaces with microscopic dust mites and mice, silverfish, and seasonal bats in the attic. Pick one of these creatures and describe what you know about them, or what questions you might have about them, without doing any additional research. Are they a mammal? Insect? Do they nest or burrow or create webs? What spaces within your space do they reside in? Carpets? Closets? Walls or windowsills? If that creature had sentience, what might it note on a regular basis? Smells? Sights? Temperature changes and the like? Finally, create a scene in which two people are talking told from the perspective of this truly outside observer. What might an actual fly on the wall over here? What might be noticed with those compound eyes?
0: Mm, Thanks to Rachel Mans McKinney for being on the show this week. My key takeaways from her interview are, one, it's okay to not write every day. Two, if you're stuck right outside your genre, in three, you wouldn't ice a cake that's not baked, so don't edit before you're done writing. Rachel Mann's McKinney's book, The Butterfly Effect, just came out this week. There's a link to buy it in the show notes. I'd also like to take a moment to celebrate the first anniversary of the podcast, which was this week on December 5th. When I started the show last year, I had no idea that it would grow the way that it has or that I would hear from so many of you on how listening has helped you feel better about writing and to write just a little bit more. I'm so happy to be on this journey together. Send me a message and tell me what's helping, or if you have ideas on how the show can grow. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and this is Fierce Woman Writing. I'll be back next Thursday with another episode. Until then, keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at FierceWomenWriting. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.